I had a man come into my office. Um, you know, one of the things I do outside of this is, you know, I, I'm an, I, I love to write. I love to speak. But I also do a lot of counseling and coaching. And I had a guy come into my office. It's, it's been probably 10 years ago now. But he had had um, a couple of affairs. His wife had kicked him out of the house. And she said that he was not allowed to come back <coughs> excuse me, until he got help. So she had kicked him out of the house, you know, told their, their twins, told her parents, told his parents, she told all of her friends. You know how all that kind of stuff can, can keep going. There's a lot of hurt involved, a lot of pain. And he came to my office and he said, I, I really want to be able to go back home, but I'm supposed to come in and meet with, you know, a Christian coach or counselor. And I said, well, I'm glad you came. And he told me that he had gone to these massage therapists, really massage therapists, and he had gotten caught and it's become something in his life. He As we were going on, he was, you know, he was feeling very remorseful, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. And I was trying to explain to him about righteousness. Chapter 1 says, God says, our inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Good for all who believe. What's key, this righteousness from God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not by all of my because Here's the thing. When we have faith, when we have the, the healthy fruit on the tree, as Luke chapter 6 talks about, it says the unhealthy fruit, you know, it's not going to produce anything, but healthy fruit does because its roots are in the right place. And then in Luke chapter 6, it goes on and it says, your true being brims over into true words and deeds. It's because of his righteousness. You have that faith. You don't do works to get God to love you. There's nothing that I can do or say that can make God more. His love is already complete for me. And there's nothing I can do or say that can make God love me less. Because his love is complete for me. Now, are there consequences when I step outside of what he wants for me? Well, absolutely there are. But that's not. Jesus took the punishment. We get consequences, just like a parent who wants to discipline their child because it's not what's best for them. It's to guide us and direct us into doing the right thing. Himself from us when we step out and we sin. What ends up happening is when we believe that he does remember, it creates incredible shame, like I'm not good enough. And the more we begin to believe shame and condemnation, we act more because we don't like ourselves and we're afraid. Ourselves feel good for just for a moment because we, we hate ourselves. And see, sin is attractive because it always has an immediate payoff. I would go there. But when we understand that Christ is the real me. Remember in Romans, do the things I don't want to do, but it's not really me doing it. That's what he's talking about. When I act out of my flesh, I am in Christ, I will sin. But when I'm living out of his righteousness, the mind of Christ, I will do I can't not do good things.
my righteousness is as compared to what he has for me. So this man was sitting there, and I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if God is righteous, I said, do you know what I mean by righteous? It means there's no God. He says, yeah, I believe that. I said, so then let's just say this. On a righteousness scale of 10 scale, how righteous would God be? would be a 10. And I said, I agree. And I said, so if you're a two, but there can't be any sin in heaven, how are you going to get the door of heaven? How are you going to get And he looked at me, and his theology not what Jesus did, but I have to ask. I do hear. It's a trap. Um, if you said fruit, and we know with the fall of man, it happens at that point. And talks about God was walking through the garden, and he's calling out to Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? And where were they? They were hiding. He said, where are you? He says, we're hiding. And he says, well, you know, why are you hiding? And their response, now this is the very first time ever in humanity. And they said, well, we're naked. Response. And what does he say? Who told you you were naked? Who has come into the world? Who told you that you need to still be carrying the weight of that sin that you did back here? 
Who told you that you need to keep that person's sin back? Them in line. I love Romans 14, 4. It says if there's corrections to be made or man learned, God can handle that with your help. I love chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. It says, others are strong in opinion, but weak in the faith department. Treat them gently, for they have their own history to deal with. God understands our You go back and you look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, don't you know it's God's loving kindness, patience, that leads us to obedience, amazing grace, is what causes us to fall in love with the maker of everything. Because we know us in our flesh, what we've thought, what we've done, all these different things, and yet he extends his kindness, patience, and tolerance. Why would he do that? About five years old. And I, my mom had made a bathroom. I really remember this. Some of my first. We had a dog, and the dog I'd gotten out, I was drying off. The dog had bumped the door open. I pushed its way into the bathroom, and I was standing there, and of course, I was naked. I was looking. And my sister didn't know because the door was open, and she comes walking in. Well, immediately, I'm like, you know, and I go flying down the hallway to my mom. Mom! Naked. She saw me crying, and what's wrong, honey? me, and she yells at my sister, and my sister didn't do it. Sends her to her room, and now she's feeling ashamed. Why? Where did this, where did this shame come from? It was about third grade, and I can remember noticing little girls now, and how cute when I was there. Girls now. There was this little blonde-haired girl. Her name was Sherry Jolly. And I, and I remember having erasers when you were in school, your generation. And we got sent to an, clean those erasers. You had to all the chalk out of them. And the erasers. And so we're in there, and we get everything about done. And, and I wanted this kid to like me. He was kind of a big, kind of a cool kid. And he's patting me on the back, telling me, man, you did a great job with this. And I was just being nice until we get back to the classroom. Jolly just laughing her head off when I turned around, and I didn't know what was going on. You know what he did. He took the eraser and put chalk all over my back. Instantly, I mean, I shame. I mean, it was in front of this girl that I had this crush on. Why would you embarrass me? And my trust level now went boom. He had just bottomed out. Fourth grade. Oh, it's got to be a better year. Here we are, it's in between classes, and, and the teacher's telling boys, restroom, girls get lined up. Well, when I go in, and we had the urinals back then that went all the way in the men's room to the boys' room to the floor, and as I'm just getting in there, two boys get on each side, of me, and they're laughing, and I didn't know what they were laughing at, and all of a sudden, they both, both turn toward me and pee all over my legs and my feet. I didn't, I, first of all, Why? Couldn't understand it. You do that. Still standing there. And I haven't gone to the bathroom. So much shame. And here this woman, I, she was, I always say she was a cross between Adolf Hitler and Frankenstein. She was about six foot four and mean, I mean, as a snake. And I haven't come out. And she comes right in the bathroom, grabs me by the shoulders as I'm standing there. She the shoulders and tells me to hurry up. I am so 
scared. I just go. I get back. I mean, I just run back to class. And I'm sitting in those chairs. Remember when the, the seats were connected to the desk and you lifted the desk up and you had your books and everything? And I've got to go. And I keep asking, can I go to the bathroom? She's like, you had your chance. But I didn't want to tell on them because I was afraid of what they might do, right? Recess time comes and all the kids go outside and I'm still sitting there. You know why I was still sitting there? Because I wet my pants. I couldn't hold it anymore. And I'm sitting literally in a puddle of my own stuff. Remember the, the um, now I've said my ABCs. Remember that song? Now some of you were taught, next time won't you? me. That's not the way that I was taught it. It was, now I've said my ABCs. Tell me what you think of me. Anybody else remember that version of it? Yeah. Tell me what you think of me. See, it was already based on my performance. Good enough. And so that year, between the chalk, the last year going on, and me sitting in my own urine, and I remember when it came recess, I ran home. I just, I had to get out of there. And so it ABCs. I thought that must be worthless for them to do something like this. And the shame began to grow. I get into junior high and, and things are, there's new bullies. I'm in a new school and things Remember the kids would just because pick on me, knock them push me into the showers and gym class with my clothes on. You name it, I had it done to me. Chased home from school, beat up. Business teacher, but during high school, and I was one of the short in my class. I thought, man. I worked in the shoe store I had been working for uh, a couple years in high school. Went to the steel mill trying to prove I was good enough that I could be a man. But before I, actually, before I went there, my dad, like I said, was a business opportunity came up for me to go and manage the same branch of a shoe store about two and a half hours away from home. Well, I wanted to make my dad proud. And so my, my, all my stuff, my dad helps, mom helps, we get over there, and I've got an apartment in this old building. Now, this apartment was up on the second, second level, and there was a, an old rickety staircase that went up apartment. Here I am, it's been about six months, and I'm working here. I'm missing my girlfriend at the time. I'm missing my parents and all my friends, and I'm working about 70 hours a week. And a guy that was really cool in my high school all of a sudden just shows up. And he came with him, and he had a case of beer. He had a box of Swisher Sweet cigars, and he had a stack of porn magazines about that deep. Now, I wasn't brought up like this. Like I said, I think I was born in the pew. We were in church so much. But now, what do I do? How do I act? How do I behave? Because my need to, to figure out if I'm good enough or to be approved, I chose, he chose poorly. Remember Indiana Jones? I chose poorly. And debauchery was the word for the next two days. Here I am, we're, we're popping tops and looking at magazines and smoking stoves and all this stuff. And inside, I wasn't liking myself, but I wanted to be cool and accepted. And so he leaves after the end of the weekend, and I, my mess is still there. The house stinks, the apartment stinks. I go back to work the next morning, of course, not feeling very good physically as well. And about noon, I hear the bell on the front door of the store open up. Now, I'm two and a half hours away from home. I wasn't really worried about mom and dad showing up, but of course, it was mom and dad showing up. 
And I'm going, oh, my word. And I said, uh, hi. They said, hey, we wanted to surprise you. I said, you did. Did you go to my apartment? They said, we tried to, but it was locked. We couldn't get in. God, I owe you. And they said, why don't you give us the key, and we'll go, we'll go back down, and, and we'll, uh, we'll just up a little bit. I go, no, you know what? It's kind of a mess right now, and you didn't raise me that way. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Let me go down and clean it up. Man, I jumped in my 74 Firebird. I forget what it was. Starsky and Hutch used to have in that old show where he's sliding the thing around. But I had the headers coming right off the, you know, and thrush right off the end of the headers. And I go flying down the street, and I slide in like they used to do in that television show. And I run upstairs, and I've got these, these 30-gallon trash bags, all my debauchery, right? I'm just trying to cover all my sin. I'm throwing everything in this thing. And I'm burning toast trying to cover the smell of the cigars. You know, kids don't do this. Parents walk up the stairs. I hear them coming. I'm cinching the last trash bag, and I'm going, thank you, God. I really do owe you. I'm thinking, I got away with this. Dad walks in, and he goes, hey, why don't you let me help carry those down to the trash? Find your trash. It's going tomorrow. Perfect. So I grab the one that I think maybe I don't want him to feel or see, you know, and we go down, and the trash is, is kind of full, and he goes, I'll take care of this. So I go back upstairs, not knowing that the trash cans were so full, he had to put the trash bags on top of the cans. Next morning, and I'm smelling my mom's Maxwell House coffee. You know, she's making pancakes. I'm feeling so good and so relieved. And I walk out and sit down, and I go, hey, where's Dad? She said, oh, he's outside. I guess he had to put the trash bags on top of the cans last night, and some duck. Your sins will find you out. Uh, you know, the, the walk of death, this walk of shame, I'm going down those stairs with my head down, and I'm thinking, here it comes. Like that. What's your mother going to say? You know, all these things, I'm, 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 I'm ready. You know, growing up in a, in a, in a pretty work-based church myself, there can be a lot of shame and condemnation, expectations, and if you don't meet those, maybe you're And so this is in my head. And here's my dad picking up all of my sin. And he's putting it inside these bags. And he's cinching it up. And I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. What's he going to say? And he turns to me, and I'm thinking, here it comes. And he looks at me, and he says, are you okay? Um, what? Are you okay? Dad, I'm not okay. I'm really struggling right now. You know, I had a little image. It was kind of funny. Um, this dog, you know, with the trash. But that's, that's kind of how I felt. You, you see, when a dog does something wrong, it knows it's done something wrong. But why did I, why did I choose to follow the lead of this kid that came to my house, doing some stuff, you know, getting drunk and doing all these things that I know I shouldn't have. Well, here's the reason why. Because I was buying into what was a big lie. And the big lie simply says that my performance plus other people's opinions equals my self-worth. Look at that again. The big lie says that my performance plus others' opinions equals my self-worth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Never, ever, 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 ever believe that. Because the big truth is, it's God's performance and it's God's opinion that equals who I am. 
But I was getting my worth and value from everybody else around me. And I guarantee you, whether you realize it or not, honey, how do I look in this today? Some of us have already done that today. We, we try to pose. We wear the mask. We try to put something out. And I'll tell you what, when you're up here leading worship sometimes and you make a mistake, oh, no, what do they think of me? Right? Yeah, I mean, you were touched this morning. It wasn't you forgot something. You were just being touched, but all of a sudden you're going, I need to be leading this song. And be... Performance is so drilled into us as believers. The enemy has got that big lie really, really inside of us. So what I push the button twice, sorry. This is the this is what I, I call the theology that we're believing. It's called the Santa Claus is coming to town theology. This is what we've been believing into. Right? Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. And I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Sees you when you're sleeping, which is wrong in my book. I don't care if you're I don't care. You have no business looking at me in my room. He knows when you're he knows if you've been bad or good, so be for goodness sake. It's been drilled into us. Performance has been so drilled into us that we think that we are not good enough unless our lives are spotless and there was only one whose life was ever like that. God knew it and he had to come and he sent his son to die so that our sins could be taken as believers once and more. And so we come to this, this place in our lives where we're, we're, we're faced with my dad saying, you know, are you okay? And I'm going, can I trust that? I mean, I, all these things that happened to me in my lifetime, I'm going, I don't trust anybody. But this is my father. Can I trust what he's really saying to me? And so we come to this, this fork in the road. And so we walk along, and, and everything's going good in our life. And we're thinking, man, this is, life's going really good right now. And, and I come to this fork, and I, and I see a choice. And I'm going, God, I don't want to make a choice. And I look at this. One side says, trusting God. And so I, I, I go over to that one, and I'm going, but what's in that? Trusting, I mean, what am I supposed to do here? There's really, there's nothing for me to do. But now, pleasing God, yeah, that one. Now there's something for me to do. You know, I can be the hero in this story. I can, I can get involved. I can make a difference. I can do all these things, and I can maybe close that chasm between God and myself if I can just please him. And so I, I walk up, and I, I door. And it says, the room of good intentions. And then the title underneath it says, strive all that I can be. It's kind of like the Marines, right? Be all you can be. Yeah, this is what I want to be a part of. I, I want to jump in the battle. I want to do all this. And so I look at the and there's a handle. Handle, and as I walk in, it's a beautiful room. I mean, Perfect, nothing in place, beautiful stained glass windows. Everyone is in their Sunday best. They all have their Bible. Every didn't find a fingerprint over to me. And she looks at me, she's wearing this mask. And she says, how are you? And I say, oh, 
I mean, I. Okay, it's not going real well right now. I, I, I'm afraid my daughter might be pregnant and my, my son is on drugs. She says, and she pulls this mask out and she hands it to me. And I look around and everyone else is wearing the mask. And as I look at it, everyone looks at me and goes. And so I put on the mask. And I'm hearing conversations. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm great. You're this year. Oh, I got a 10 point. I got a 12 point. You're trying to one up each other, right? All this stuff is happening in the room. Everyone's fine. My son's going to, to this Harvard University and Everyone's life is so perfect, and he's realizing, wait a minute, my life isn't fine. How do I tell everybody it's fine, just like we all do on Facebook, right? I don't feel like I can be really honest in this room with who I am and where I am. And so I think to myself, what if there was a place so safe that I could actually share the worst about myself and be loved more, not less for the telling of it? And so I, I walk out of the room, and I take the mask off, and I come back again. And I, I walk back to the fork in the road, and I, and I look at that sign again, and I'm going, pleasing God, trusting God. I'm going, God, is there another sign? Give me another choice here. Trusting God. I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? And so I choose it. As I walk down, I come to another door. And it says, the room of grace. And the words underneath it say, living out of who God says I am. And I look at the doorknob and it says, humility. And as I open the door and I walk in, I can hear some laughter. I can hear some crying. And I... I see disheveled pillows on an old grandfather chair, and I see a table with some crumbs on it and a leftover blueberry muffin, and there's some lipstick on the coffee cup, and there's people hugging with each other. There's people down praying, and a woman meets me at the door, and she says, how are you today? And I say, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm really fine. And she says, no, it, it's okay to be honest here. Okay, fine. I'm not fine. I'm afraid my daughter's pregnant. I'm afraid my son is on drugs. My marriage is in shambles. I think I'm going to be losing my job on Monday. You know what? Just forget it. And as I turn to walk out the back door, I hear from a voice from the back going, Is that all you got? And I turn back around and I walk in. And this woman says, It's okay. You don't have to wear the mask here. This is the room of grace. This really is a place so safe that you can tell us the worst about what's really going on because we care about you because we've all been there. Whew. These words are out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I love what Paul says about taking off the mask. He got it. Remember, Paul is a lawman's lawman, right? But God gives him this amazing experience, knocks him off a horse, blinds him, does all these things, and speaks to him. And Paul's life has changed. And he says, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? He says, I refuse to do that. 
to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ, Christ died unnecessarily. Why do some of us choose to go back to the room of good intentions when we've tasted grace? Because somehow, striving to be all you can be, you're getting something out of it. Somehow, you're finding a false identity. You're finding a false worth and value. But those things are all temporal. Our beauty is going to fade. The money we make is going to change. None of us are going to be able to survive the physical part of this life. But we go back to it because we're getting something out of it. I was on a hunt. Uh, many of you in this room, some of you know, you know part of what I, I do, I write and I speak, and, but a big part of what I do is I course. And I was on a bow hunt in Colorado a few years ago. And one of the things to be able to understand when God is speaking to us and he's directing us is to understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. As a kid growing up, we believed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit better sit in the back row and keep his hands to himself and be quiet. I mean, that was the kind of church. We didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, that he was our guide, that he would bring Scripture and everything, truth back up in our lives and be our protector. And so I was on this hunt, and that morning when I was the very last morning of the hunt, now I had taken a rifle with me, but understand, I don't shoot my rifle. I'm a bow hunter. All my sponsorships are in archery. So that last morning, all my camouflage is out on the front. We had this, this cabin that someone had loaned us out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm out there, and all my camo is in this tub. I keep it scent free, and I have all my camo, and I got it all on, and it's time to go. Now, I'm always the first one to hit the woods. And my buddies come out, and they go, why are you still here? I said, you know, I said, this is the weirdest thing. I said, I brought my rifle, thinking maybe on the last day of the hunt, we could set some targets out there and see you can hit the furthest one away, that kind of a thing. But this voice is telling me, I need to take my gun with me today. And they said, why would you do that? Your sponsorships are in archery. I said, I know. I said, it doesn't make any sense. They said, well, good luck. And they all leave. And I'm still standing there wrestling with this voice saying, I want you to take your gun with you, not just your bow. So finally, I go, fine. I go back. I grab it. And as I'm walking with all this equipment now, way more stuff, and it's way later in the morning. It's, I'm afraid it's going to be light when I get to where my blind is that I had set up. As I'm walking along, there's three different times that that path splits. The right path is pruned very, very well. Because as a hunter, what you want to do is you want to make sure you're not leaving any skin cells that might rub off when you're going through there. You don't want to make extra noise. Remember, this is the animal's bedroom. You want to be very, very quiet. The whole game is not being seen, heard, or smelled. And that's why this path is pruned the way it is. And I get to that first path, and I hear this same voice that I was Hearing on the porch say to me, Brent, I want you to go left on this path. I almost laughed out loud. <laughs> Why would I do that? Really? I mean, come on. I'm, I'm a hunter here. This is what I do. I'm going to go to the right. I can get there faster. It's quieter. Brent, do you trust me? Okay, I didn't trust the kids in school. I, I struggled with trusting my dad when he was trying to pour into my life. But you've never let me down. Okay, I'll trust you. So I get down, and I'm, I'm making all kinds of noise trying to get through this brush, and it takes me an extra long amount of time, and I get through it, and I get, pick up the pace, and I get to the next fork in the road. 
And on this path, again, I'm supposed to go to the right. And I hear that voice say again, Brent, I want you to go to the left. And I'm going, come on, God. I mean, literally, I am a professional hunter God here. I know what I'm doing. Why would I go to the left? Brent, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. I want you to go to the left. Taking all my stuff off now because it's harder to get through, and it's starting to get light out, and I'm realizing this day is probably ruined. I'm getting angry with God. And so I get out of that stuff, and I put my stuff on, and I'm, I'm almost running, and I get to the last thing in the path, and I go, I know you want me to go to the left, right? And he says, yeah. Great. And there's shale rock. I'm making all kinds of noise, knocking stuff over. Now, when I get to my blind, it's getting light out. And this, well, it's supposed to be, I flipped twice, sorry. This is my hunting blind. I have it a little bit brushed in, and there's a little tiny bit of a field in front of me that's about maybe 25 yards across because the elk migrate through this little area. So I get to my blind, and I look in front of my blind, and on the ground, there's a still steaming pile of bear scat about this big around right in front of it. It was like 32 degrees that morning. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. And I look at my blind closer. This is the picture that morning. And my blind has been flattened. My elk decoy was pulled out. It's drug over here. My chair is drug over here. My scent-free bottle has got teeth marks all through it. And I'm going, whoa, this was a bear. See, when a bear can, can see you, smell you, and hear you, and they come back, you've got a real problem. That's what we call a rogue bear. I filmed bears in Alaska for years. Bears are unpredictable. I mean, they can be patient with you at 50 yards and get ticked off at you at 300 yards. You just don't know what's going on. And I'm going, this is not good. So I get inside the blind. I lay my gun down. got my bow stuff over here. I'm trying to get the, the, the hub put back up in the top of the blind and realizing it's been broken and crushed. And as I'm doing all this, I grab my phone. As soon as I get a little bit of a shooting window out the front so I can at least see, realizing I'm probably not going to be able to hunt out of this. So I start texting my buddy Brandon, who lives about three hours away, and here's what I texted him. I said, I just got to my blind 10 minutes ago, and a bear had flattened it and pulled stuff out. He comes back, LOL, he doesn't like you. I said, the chair was five yards away, and my field spray bottle was chewed up. He is sending you a message, LOL. And then we start talking about elk, and, you know, can you hear any bugles? I said, yeah, up on moonshine. That's another hill on the other side. Now, that was at 849. Now, this is actually was 649 because there's two hours difference. But you're going to see a two-minute delay, but actually it was about a minute all of a sudden, you see me say, payback, baby, dead bear. I saw him go down. He goes, you just shot him. Awesome sauce. I said, yeah, I'm shaking. He was walking right back to my blind, back for more. About a minute after I had to, and let me say have to. There's a thing called defense, uh, it's, it's called a DLP, defensive life of property. As soon as I looked out that window, here comes the bear, full charge, coming right across this little bit of an opening, right to where I was. I didn't have time to use my bow. The only thing I could do was grab my rifle, pull it up, and all I saw was Brown squeeze the trigger and dropped him on his tracks. Remember that old hymn of the church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? There's a line in it that says, And one little word shall fell him. That's what the word of God does when we know his word the Holy Spirit brings it back up. So when the enemy is coming after us with shame and condemnation, you're not good enough. This righteousness from God through faith in Christ Jesus is good for all who believe. He begins to bring 
the verses up that you need in that moment when the enemy is coming after you. Because he knows the enemy is a liar. And our weapon is the word of God. It is truth. And as I'm standing there, all of a sudden my hand started realizing this bear, which is only five yards in front of me, was just coming after me full bore. And had I not listened to that voice that morning, our Father wants us to trust him. I'll just look, you see this, there's the bear. But it was, it was one of those moments where God said, do you trust me? And so we're left with an option in these paths that we, we come to in life. Are we going to trust God? Because here's the thing. Without trust, I can't please God. Does God want our hands? Well, of course he does. He's given us purpose and meaning and all these different things. But if we don't trust him, that's all about us. I'm going to do these things just like the, the older son in the prodigal son story. I'm going to do all these things so I can get my inheritance. But we think there's this chasm and we have to do all that stuff. But where is Jesus in the middle of our mess? God's generosity towards us was so amazing that he gave. And he gave his one and only son. I can't even imagine giving a child for anybody, for any. How, and I, I hate to say it like this, but how dare I not trust him? Because it's not about how dare I not trust him. But why would I not trust him is more like it. I can look back over my life and everything I have has been given by him, through him. And this stinking pile of sin that we have between us, it's almost like I can see, you know, Jesus going, there is no chasm between us. I am right here with you. And it's like he's got his arm around us. He's looking at it going, well, that's a pretty good-sized pile of stuff you got over there. But I've already done like your father did. I've taken all of your mess, and I've tied it up, and I've thrown it away as far as the east is from the west. And I remember it no more. I remember it no more more. You know, my, my wife, if you knew her story, she was abandoned by her mother at the age of eight. She never knew who her father was. Sometime you'll get to hear her testimony, I pray. You can even go on YouTube and you can find it on there. But she had a path that she was going to choose. Is she going to follow in the footsteps of what she knew? Or is she going to choose to trust her father, when she never even knew who her father was. See, what a child almost always knows about comes through their earthly father. You know, if you had an abusive father, you might see God as being abusive. If you had a father who wasn't ever present around you, was too busy, you see God as being too busy to mess with you. If you had a father who engaged with you, you see God caring and he's involved in your life. But she had to choose. By the grace of God, she chose him to be her father. But there's so many of us in this room, and we don't know where to go. We don't know who to choose. And we know that there's no way 
given our story, that we can do it on our own, especially when we're believing that who we really are is by what we do. Because like I was saying earlier, who you are has nothing to do with what you do. Who you are has everything to do with who is in you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have his grace. You have his mercy. You have been forgiven. And here's the thing about grace. Because people go, well, isn't that a license to sin? Take this with you this morning. The generosity of God. Grace always leads to obedience. Always. Or it's not grace. It's something else. Grace leads to obedience. Father God, You still love us. Wow. You really are a good, good father. You really are a chain breaker. And your amazing grace really is a sweet sound. But God, we need you this morning because we're living in performance-based stuff. And it's hard to break out of that. Remind us who we really are, Father. This righteousness comes from you, and not by what we do, but it is by grace alone. We need your touch, God. Stand with me, would you guys? Thank you, Father, for loving us. We sang this song a little bit ago, and I taught you the chorus. It's your touch. That I need in my life. Your mark. Your mark. I want to leave behind your face. It's your face that I want to show them. It's your touch that I need in my life. Sing that again. It's your touch that I need that I need in my life. Your mark, your mark. I want to leave behind your face that I want to show them. It's your touch that I need in my life. It's your touch I need in my life. It's your mark. I want to leave behind. It's your face that I want to show them. It's your touch that I need in my life. And I want to say this this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you want to give your life to him, what's stopping you? Why would you care what anybody else thinks about you? Maybe you're worried about, well, maybe they know my sin. 
and they're thinking I'm just putting on a show to get them on my good side. Stop caring what they think. What Jesus gave, he gave freely, and he gave it for you. He left the 99, remember that? And he went after the one. Maybe that's you this morning. Are you tired of living in that performance-based stuff? And you're going, God, I want you. I want everything you have for me. I want that life to the full that you promised. Sing that last chorus with me. It's your touch that I need in my life. It's your mark I want to leave behind. It's your face that I want to show them. It's your touch that I need in my life. This morning when you leave, if you've received Christ as Lord and Savior this morning, it's as simple as saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. And I ask your Holy Spirit to come into mine forever. Please come up and talk to Pastor Tyson and myself. Let us know God's moving your life. Let us hear your story and how we can come alongside you. You are so loved. Have a good day, you guys.